Thank you. Thank you. Father and Mario. I feel a little off kilter here today, but our scripture reading today is found in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, we'll start with chapter 5, and as you're turning there, um, Paul has just talked about the fact that in this world, these outward bodies of ours uh, deteriorate, right? And they groan and long for something better, but the inner being for us as believers grows to be stronger and stronger It's this, until someday everything is going to be whole. Well, as we come to the reading today, there's a metaphor used here for this earthly tent being the body and the one that God is going to have when he's for us. And the more I live, the more I long for that uh, body without groaning. So we'll think about that a little bit today. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5. For those of us who can, let's stand. Um, because we're going to be hearing our Father's word together. Second Corinthians chapter 5, we'll begin with verse 1. We know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan longing to be clothed instead with this heavenly dwelling because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. And and then over to verse... So we know we have something that lasts forever and the world needs it, so we tell everybody about it and they find it through Jesus. That's what goes on until we get to verse 11. Why? 14. Why do we tell people about this eternal hope? Here it is. Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ in this way, We do so no longer. How do we see people? Hear the word of God. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. And this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. I am so glad to be back with you today. Uh, Some of you know that I was gone for two weeks to China, and I'll tell you, God worked in ways that were so powerful, really beyond anything I've ever experienced. So I was sort of on a spiritual high, and then I came back, and last weekend I was called away for a very different reason. Um, I was called away to Tennessee because of the unexpected untimely, premature death of my brother-in-law, Steve Dowell. I don't know if you heard, uh, Steve had a massive heart attack, followed by his lungs collapsing. And as he went in to see the doctor to, to try to repair the lungs, they looked into his body and found cancer everywhere. And within a few days, he was gone. Now, I'll just tell you, uh, my brother-in-law, Steve, uh, was a Christian, so, so I believe and we believe 
that death is not the end of things. We are going to see him again. We believe that. I, I, I want to tell you that. So, uh, for those of us who believe in a resurrected Jesus, that lasting sting of death has been taken away. But let me just tell you something too, and I think, if we're honest, we're going to admit this, that as my sister was struggling, and as we were struggling with next steps and, and survival, and where's, how she's going to live, it sure feels like there's still a lot of stinginess around. Do you know what I mean? I mean, we have a hope, but that doesn't take away the sorrow. Paul would put it so well, we sorrow, but it's always a sorrow with a hope. You know, so over this past week, as I walked with my family through these events, I had a lot of time to do what the Bible tells us. There's a word that's often translated consider. Pull back and consider what you truly believed. I, so I've been considering what the Bible has to say about the many trials, the many imperfect things that are a part of this world. Because, you know, you and I believe that when God created his world in Genesis 1 and 2, it was perfect, it was good, he said. Even got to the point of being very, very good. Then, of course, later we recognize that when people walked away from God, everything was affected. I mean, everything was affected. The sin sort of set in this ever-deteriorating cycle downward so that everything in our world and in our lives is affected by, by evil and what is wrong. And so we struggle while we're here in this imperfect world in every way because it's all affected by the imperfection that is here. We struggle emotionally, psychologically, we struggle spiritually. Sometimes God seems to be far away. And today, on this uh, Sunday that we're thinking about disabilities, we've got to know we struggle physically as well. Now, now he, I've got some good news for you. We who follow Jesus know that God has promised that he will not leave this world the way it is. In fact, the, the Jesus who we believe in, and I love the way that John puts it in John chapter 1. He, John would say, the one through whom the entire universe was made entered into creation. The creator entered into creation to begin a work of recreating. He's coming to do a work of recreating you and me so that we can be reestablished as children, eternal children of the Heavenly Father. And He is going to do a work in this world that when He is done, it, it's not going to have any more massive heart attacks. It's not going to have any more disabilities. There will be no more shootings down at LAX. There will be no more debt. Hallelujah. <laughs> everything, will be, everything will be made right. And, and, and the way the Bible puts it is uh, it all centers, this gospel, this good news, all centers in Jesus invading this world. It has to do with his life. You know, he alone lived the way you and I were meant to live, but none of us has. And his death, as we remember today, Jeff, his death, that this sinless one was willing to die in our place. Paul would put it as an atoning sacrifice in my place for my sins. But, you know, death and sin could not hold him. And through the resurrection, 
he announced, he proclaimed to us and to the universe that he is the Lord over all. There is nothing greater than he is. He is greater than sin. He is greater than death. So that when he says, I'm going to make all things right, he's going to make all things right. He's going to finish what he started in your life and in this world. That, that's what we believe, right? Now, I've tried to find a way to picture this because I thought oh, all my words you get, get lost with my talking, but I put up a, a, a bit of a diagram or a chart for you. So when Jesus came, what happened is that the Creator launched the recreation. Uh, Jesus came into this imperfect world and experienced it, and through His life, death, and resurrection, He launched that beginning of all things being new. But he, He hasn't completed that work yet, and so we're into this second period where the Creator is here among us and at work among us. He's given us one another. He's given us His Spirit. The Creator is involved in perfecting the recreation. That's what's going on now. But when you get to the end of the Bible, Revelation 21, 22, the Creator will make His creation complete. Now, here's the part, if you read the Bible, that's really baffling, especially for those of you who don't read the Bible very often. When you look at the Bible... And it talks about this stage that you and I are in, where we're still struggling and things aren't complete yet. Um, it many times describes uh, what we're going through now in terms of which it's all, God's work is already complete. In other words, it, it will declare that in our lives the work is already done. Uh, we look at ourselves and say, it doesn't feel like it's done, but it's so certain in the eyes of, and the promises of God that when the difficulties come, we can hold on to the fact that in his eyes, because he's not limited by space and time, in his eyes, it's already done. So we hold on to that hope. You look a little confused. Can I show you a few of the places where he does this? He says things like this, Romans six twenty-two: You have been set free from sin when you're in Christ. I'm telling you, it's been declared... Read through the book of Romans and you'll see it. But in, in our daily experience, the right now, this perfecting time, where uh, it, doesn't it feel like so, it, it still has a grip on us, this sin stuff? Anybody else agree? <laughs> we say, when is this time going to come when I'm actually set free? Or, or, or another great text, Galatians 2.20. So you have been crucified with Christ. Yes, you live, but it's Christ who lives in you. I believe that, but when I look at my life, sometimes I just see a lot of myself that gets right back in there again. You too? Or, or this one that I really love, that I read to you earlier, 2 Corinthians 5:17. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. And, and you remember the context of that was these bodies being completely recreated and made new with no groaning anymore. Anyone in Christ is a new... The old is gone, the new has come. And yet when we look, it feels like some of the old is still there. Uh, and uh, it feels like there's still a lot of recreating for God to do. Uh, so what happens for us is we read that, we hold on to that promise. We pray that God will break in and do some of his transforming work now. But, but a lot of times, and, and the older I get, the more I understand this. We pray, Meridatha... Come quickly, Lord Jesus. I want you to finish your work. Now, I'm going to have to stop there for a few moments. Um, 
And I'm going to take up this topic again when we come to the book of James in January, the first three weeks. So if you have your phone out, will you say you've got to go to church those three weeks? We're going to take more time to think about this. We're going to do that. We need to. This is a message we have to communicate to our world. This morning, just before I have Mario come back, I just want to make a few statements about how we live while God is perfecting his work and while we're struggling, how we live, and especially on this Disability Sunday, where sometimes physically we can look and see, yes, God hasn't finished his work, because the work of God is going to include the fact that you know there will be no more hearing impairments or sight impairments, there will be no more physical disabilities, no disease. In the, you know, there will be no prisons in this world, Myra, no prisons in, 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 when he's done with his work. Um, but how do we live while we're here knowing it's going to be there? And I'll just make a few statements. Think about them, jot them down. I want you to chew on them for months and we'll come back to them. Number one, when we know the resurrected Jesus, we look through the trials that we face. Always look through them and keep our eyes fixed on the promised recreation. When we come to church, we pray diligently, fervently, that God will heal, reconcile, restore. And many times we see His miraculous work now, but sometimes we have to wait. Sometimes we have to wait. And while we wait, we fix our eyes on this Jesus who experienced death, we fix our eyes on him and the promise that all is going to be made new and you and I live with hope in the light of his promise. Number two. You want me to say more about that, don't you? I won't. Number two. While we do, we consider. James 1, other places, I love this word. We pull back and we consider. We think about this. We say, do I really believe this? We consider what God has said about our future in the light of what we're experiencing now. And I'll tell you one thing I do is when I'm considering, I ask myself, do I really believe, God, that you are going to do what you say you're going to do? That you're going to make all things new? Uh, Do you remember when Jesus said, I've got to die? John 13 and 14. And uh, Peter, Philip, and uh, Thomas said, no, we have a better idea. This death stuff's a bad one. (laughs) And Jesus turned it. Remember what he said? You believe in God. Trust me. Um, I know where I'm going. I know what I'm doing. And I'm doing it for you. Trust me. And so we pull back and consider... I saw Pastor Wabe talk about this time out here where recreation is complete. We consider whether we really believe in God. I'll just tell you, he's worthy of your trust. Three. Then we make a conscious decision. And this conscious decision is a decision, will I trust God or not? And, and I've talked to you about this, an intentional, conscious decision to trust God. I mean, we want everything right now. God's word is going to come and promises us it will be. And again, the will be of what God's going to do is so certain <laughs> that he speaks of it as if it already is. Uh, when I came to, to, to Jesus the first time, and I'm guessing for those of you who are believers with me, you had this time when you become so aware of the sin in your own life 
And then you come and you say, here God says, I love you with an everlasting love. Jesus says, I give my life for you. If you'll simply entrust your sins, turn from your sins, repent of your sins, and, and trust me as your Savior, I will cast your sins as far as east is from the west. Do you remember that time when consciously, intentionally you say, I believe. I'm going to follow you, Jesus. Well, let me tell you, my experience over these many years is that we not only start this walk with God by faith, we live it daily by faith. And it involves many times of these conscious, intentional decisions. Lord, I will trust you. And one of the reasons you need to come in here is because I think often when we come together, you come to say, do I really believe and will I really trust God? We make a conscious decision to trust the Lord. Number four. And while we trust him, we choose to live in faith and obedience while God is finishing his work. He says, don't forsake coming together and meet. We're not going to forsake coming together and meet. We, we read him say, stay away from sin. We're going to say, Lord, I need your help. <laughs> uh, but I'm going to by your grace and through your power. I, I love the way Paul puts it in, in Ephesians 5.8. Again, one of these statements, you once were darkness, you now are light. And you say, but I still feel the struggle of darkness. And he says, here's what you've got to do. Live as the children of the light. We make a commitment to live by faith and an obedience to him. And finally, and this may be the hardest point for you to really come to grips with, while we're waiting for that work to be complete, we find joy in the trials. Because we trust God and we know that he's not a random thing when you and I go through a tough time. That that trial is a part of what God is doing to finish his work. Uh, James 1 will put it, we, we allow all those trials to have their perfecting work. That God uses the difficulties and challenges we have when we learn to trust Him, either to do work in us to complete it, or through us to do His work in others or in this world. We, we find joy saying, Lord, use it. I don't want it. Take it away. But if you're going to leave it there, I'm going to trust you, obey you, use it. I'm going to stop there for now. Because I think Mario Ferrante has a whole lot more that he can say practically about this than I can on this weekend. Mario, if you, oh, you're already up here. Why don't you come over my way? Do you want to be on this side or this side? Oh, this side. All right. All right. You've already met Mario uh, this morning. Mario, one of the great things about Lake Avenue Church is, I think, well, let me see, the greatest things. The God, the Jesus who's the Lord here, the greatest thing. <laughs> And then really, well, not another great thing is the people. And uh, Mario, I've, I've always loved, but this last week for the first time, Mario and I really had some time to sit down. It was a great time of fellowship in my office, Mario. And I wanted Mario to share with us just a little bit of his perspectives on living life in this world, even while there are some things that are not yet perfect. Uh, Mario, you come up in a wheelchair and that's not a new phenomenon, is it? No. When did that, when did that start? Well, I, um, I contracted polio uh, at the age of eight months, and I was one of the last uh, polio patients. And um, uh, I was taken away from my family. The health department came in and removed me and um, put me in a city about three hours away 
uh, because uh, they needed to quarantine me. So they did that back then. I didn't know that until you talked to me yeah, about that. Yeah, so I was quarantined at a uh, crippled children's hospital, and uh, my family would come once a week. Uh, my parents were ministers, and uh, after the Sunday service, they would drive um, uh, to our crippled children's hospital and, and uh, visit me. And that was the only time uh, they could come, was once a week. Uh, my siblings weren't allowed in. So I was there several years. Um, it was an interesting time um, because I was, um, well, there was an attempt made on me uh, for a mercy killing uh, by a nurse. Uh, she had um, uh, gone through and pulled all the babies off the top bunks and uh, I was on the fourth bunk and just threw us to the ground. And so um, I survived that. Um, so that prolonged my stay. And, um, but God's spirit was still moving. Um, the uh, great uh, heavyweight champion of the, light heavyweight champion of the world at that time, Archie Moore, came through to that hospital uh, to visit all the crippled children. And um, I was chosen to have breakfast with him, and I sang for him, Jesus Loves Me. Ah. And so my um, mom had apparently taught me that uh, even during that time. But God was uh, faithful. I eventually got out of there and uh, went back to my home uh, and to our family and um, was raised as a, a disabled child. I um, was bullied quite a bit um, until I was about 10 years old, and then I looked down at my arms one day and I realized, wow, those must be muscles. <laughs> yeah. In fact, when you were a child, you developed those muscles yes. moving around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, definitely. And then all of a sudden I realized, wow, they're not going to bully me anymore. <laughs> and so that stopped, uh, thankfully. Um, and then the teen years were very difficult. Uh, teen years are hard anyway, right? But uh, teen years when you have no sense of hope and you have no sense of future um, and you're constantly fighting physical problems uh, is difficult. Um, but I spent many hours uh, reading my Bible, um, memorizing scriptures. I memorized the whole first chapter of James. Ah. Uh, because I was so impressed with, um, you know, how much strength there was in there. And that the one thing that really struck me was that how God uh, did not uh, view our request for wisdom in, in uh, any type of disdain. Yeah. You know, no matter how small my problems were, I could still go to him and ask for wisdom. And um, Holy Spirit quickened that thought to my mind, and that became a, a life force for me. Uh, to be able to rely on his wisdom, um, to rely on his shield, as in Psalm 119, to rely on the shield of the Lord to protect me. Um, after two or three days of mishaps and equipment failing and wheelchairs breaking and ramps breaking on my vehicle and so forth, I just want to go hide for a little bit, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, found so much comfort in his shield and his protection. And um, that's basically how life started. Yeah. So you've, you've lived your whole life with physical disability and having to learn to, to adjust, learn how to be there and to trust God in the midst of it. Uh, Mario has written a book, and I've asked you, to, are there going to be some out there? There are some out there, yeah. And you've done it together with your daughter, Summer. Yeah. 
I love this book. It's called, So, You Want My Handicapped Parking's Place. <laughs> it, it is a marvelous read. It's easy to read. Uh, the stories are there. You know, it, Mario, I love it because some of the humor even like today is there, but then it helps, it stretches me to get... Uh, to see things in ways I otherwise could never see. So I really want to encourage all of you who can get back there. I don't know if they have enough to get this and read it. It will be an easy, delightful, and instructive read. But there are just so many memorable stories about what you have experienced. Would you be willing to share one of those? Sure. I'll, I'll um, tell you about one experience. I was about 10 years old. Um, I didn't fully understand that I was disabled, so I was very active and very much out there and a little bit mischievous and just out there doing a lot of stuff. And so uh, I joined a, um, a, a scouting group, and um, my mother found out about this. And she says, um, well, did they let you in? I said, well, they didn't say no. You know, and my little 10-year-old mind, I'm thinking, I'm going to be a, a scout. So... Um, they had their first scouting jamboree on a weekend, and um, I really wanted to go, and I asked my mother, and her reaction was, wow, you haven't looked in a mirror lately. Mm. You are not going on a scouting trip. Yeah. They are not designed for you. And um, all my friends were going, and there was a lot of hype about it. Well, after three days of wearing her down, she finally <laughs> acquiesced. And, uh, but she gave me one big warning, and she had kind of a little crooked finger, and I just never forgot that, and it was sort of in my face. And she said, you know, you have broken the Shriners wheelchair, you have broken the Crippled Children's Society's wheelchair that they have loaned you. We are on our last wheelchair, which I borrowed from the convalescent hospital. And my response was, well, no wonder it's so rickety, Yeah. you know. And um, she says, no more wheelchairs. This is it. There, nobody will lend you a wheelchair anymore. And our family wasn't in position to buy wheelchairs. And so um, I promised her I would take good care of the wheelchair, you know. And so off we go. And the first patch that I'm trying to get, which all the boys had from a previous trip, was the deep forest patch yeah the <laughs> <laughs> so off to the deep forest we went and kids were pushing me i didn't even know what a deep forest was <laughs> yeah. and uh we get out there and then i realized wow this is not made for a wheelchair i couldn't mm. even move around so kids would kind of bump me around to different spots and uh, one of the first things on my list that i had to collect was a grasshopper some deep forest grasshopper, mind you. So I'm reaching down here for the grasshopper, and the next thing I hear is a crunch underneath me, and then a second crunch. And I'm now sitting in the deep forest, and um, there's also um, all the kids running around. They're pulling the chair, and they broke it more by just yinking it away from me. And the chair is there in a pile, and the commander comes over to him and he goes, oh, my goodness. You know, and uh, I figured he knew my mother. And yeah. she was <laughs> just going to let him have it. So um, the kids built, um, you know, some type of a um, device that I sat on. I was like King Tut, and they yeah. marched me through the forest. Uh, kind of to a hero's welcome at the Jamboree. It was very funny. 
Yeah. And uh, we came in late because of this. And um, I spent the rest of the weekend in a wagon. And uh, frankly, didn't care. I was on the trip. And uh, we got home, and my mother was inconsolable, completely inconsolable. Her pointed finger was everywhere. And and she she says, well, I'm going to tell you one thing. You're going with me to the convalescent hospital. I am not going alone. I said, with what? I don't have a wheelchair. Yeah. And she says, no, there's one in the garage. It's rickety. It's got rust on it right where you sit and everywhere else. She says, that's what you're going in. Like it's my fault, right? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, uh, <laughs> off to the convalescent hospital we go. And I actually felt sorry for her. She looked so sheepish explaining this to the director of the convalescent hospital. The chair is there in a, in a heap, you yeah. know. And... Um, she uh, promised them that I would come sing for a year every Sunday afternoon. And I said, you have got to be kidding. When we got out to the car, she got an earful from me. And, and she was a musician and played the piano. And so we sang and played for a year. And honestly, I don't think most of the people were coherent. Yeah, and, but I yeah. still sang, and I, I sang like my heart out. And, yeah. Every hymn in the book we sang. She knew every hymn, and we sang every hymn. And it kind of all came around about um, six to eight years later. About eight years later, um, I went to college. I couldn't get my first job. I could not get a college job, and I was trying to support myself. And I noticed the local funeral home near the college needed a singer, and I went in there and sight read, and Mort the Mortician, that was his name, Mort, comes up to me. <laughs> Seriously, that was his name. <laughs> and Mort comes up to me and he says, I cannot believe how many hymns you know. <laughs> I said, that's a long story. Yeah, yeah. That is amazing, Mario. Now, the, the joy in the book is evident, but at the same time, there have been really many, many times of discouragement, too, haven't there? Definitely. I mean, you cannot live um, 60 years as a disabled child, teen, adult without moments of discouragement, if not depression at times. Uh, just over feelings of hopelessness or solutions you need or or how to build a future for yourself. I became really reliant on Jeremiah 29, um, a life verse for many of you as well, that God did not make me to fail, Mm. and that whatever came across my path, um, he would give me the strength and the wisdom to be able uh, to do it. And that included ministry. I really wanted to minister Um, Being in a minister's family, that was uh, indoctrinated into us early. And so um, that became really important to me, uh, to give back to my local church, give back to Christ. And um, the Lord has been so faithful in providing solutions all these years. And uh, what you talked about, Pastor, with the joy, there's been just so many moments of joy um, if I ever get down, I really focus on the blessings the Lord has given, given me, which are too numerous to count. 
Um, I have a lovely family. My wife and I just celebrated our 40th anniversary this summer. My daughter is here this morning. Thank you. That's a testimony to her patience and endurance, I've got to say. Um, Because going into the grocery store is a, you know, is a 10-minute job. You get out of the car for five minutes, and she took up reading. It's great. She just sits there and reads, goes through book after book. So she's very patient, been a wonderful life support. Uh, My daughter is here this morning, uh, returning from a a honeymoon. She just got married two weeks ago. And um, just blessing after blessing, and I, I really focus on that. And very quickly, the joy of the Lord comes back. Uh, Mario, no, our time goes way too quickly, but I want to make sure you speak to us about the, the ways that you've seen the presence and provision of God in some of life's most difficult moments. I'll never forget what you even shared with me in my office. Well, every day when you leave um, and you're in a wheelchair, so many things can happen, and you kind of step out in faith every day, uh, quite honestly. And I never know when it's a mishap day. I've been hit by uh, a vehicle in Old Town Monrovia, uh, just going past an alley, totally unplanned. They didn't see me. One thing after another, uh, thrown into the street because of malfunctions and so on and so forth. So you become reliant on the Lord. And this one day, um, I went to uh, work. I used to work for a large corporation in Washington State. And um, I went to work early, about 6 a.m., and um, there was uh, absolutely nobody in the parking garage. So I went up to the sixth floor, not a soul, never seen it like that. And um, I used to have to take the wheelchair apart across my body in a car, rather than a van, and so I'd get it put back together, and it was sitting there to my left, and I went to hop into the wheelchair, and the brake gave out in the wheelchair, and I'm now sitting on the cement pavement. Mm. And I can't get back up into the wheelchair, and my heart was really uh, discouraged, and I grumbled before God. And, um, you know, my head was down, and I I was not praying. I was grumbling. Mm. You know, God, where were you? And I felt like he had just done such a marvelous job providing for me all these years. But where was he at 6 a.m. on a cold morning? And um, I kind of peer around the um, side of the door, and um, I notice there are two guys in black suits. Um, and they're like right in front of my car, sitting on a barrier, which is also cement. And I'm thinking, wow, that's not a great place to sit. And, um, but they weren't there when I pulled in. Obviously, I would have seen them. And um, the two men didn't even really turn around and look at me when I was looking at them. And so I was just sitting there about ready to call out to them, but they looked kind of weak. You know, they were skinny guys in black suits, and I figured they're not getting me back up in my chair. And before I knew it, these guys just came right around the back, never said a word, one on each shoulder, and just swiftly boosted me into that wheelchair. And I was like, wow, these guys are a lot stronger than they look. And so I'm getting my briefcase and my stuff together to turn around and leave and thank them. And they are gone. They are nowhere to be found. I mean, this was not a place you could have run easily and hidden. 
And I was deeply moved by just the presence of the Lord because I could kind of see the Lord chuckling a little bit like, just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not happening. Amen. So the question is, do we believe, is Mario a credible witness? Do you believe that angels come and do the work of God? We have learned a lesson that they are skinny and no muscles and wear black suits. <laughs> Mario, um, in the back you'll have your book. Uh, we, there's also a wonderful CD that you've done. And I think there's a luncheon afterwards, isn't there? That, that we can come and, and hear more yeah. after the 11 o'clock service. So I hope you'll mark that down. But here, uh, one of the things I love about Mario is that with all these things happening, and, and I'm sure you've experienced many of these difficulties within the context of a church family, you still love the church. I just, But as a pastor's son and somebody who's lived your whole life in the church, is there a word that you'd like to give to your church family about how we might be a better place for the many, many kinds of disabilities that our people and those that we hope will become a part of us experience so that we can be more of a, a family, really a family together. One of the uh, bigger issues for um, anyone disabled is this subject of marginalization where you are not part of the central activities uh, of an event or of a body, but you're kind of in the margins. And um, the disabled really feel this in many, um, in many events, many circumstances. And I think as a church body, uh, to come alongside those who are disabled um, with a spirit of inclusion, uh, opening your heart to someone who's very different than you are is always difficult. Um, but uh, as the Lord leads you to come alongside, learn how you can help them. Something as simple as walking through a buffet line <laughs> cannot be done easily by someone who's disabled. Yeah. Uh, you need a third arm, basically. Yeah. And so um, to extend yourself to be that help, um, to offer that inclusion is a wonderful, wonderful provision in ministry and witness to them of Christ's love. Yeah, I, I feel like what you're saying to us is that we need to make sure that we enter into relationships, listen, watch, and then make accommodation <clears throat> so that everybody can participate in our family events. Exactly. And may we learn that. Well, thank you, Mario. This has been thank such you. a blessing to be able to have you share with us. You can imagine there are about 50 more things I wanted to talk with Mario about today. One of the things that any of us who know anything about Mario will know about him is this. He has a love for Jesus and a deep desire that other people will come to know Jesus. Passionate about that. And a part of it is because he has experienced the hope that comes, that only comes, when we believe some of the things we talked about earlier, that he really is at work that he's ready to do his work in your life and in mine, that he has, shows us his grace, gives his spirit to us, and promises us someday that all things, all things will be made new. If you don't know that Jesus, he is real. And I pray that this morning might be the morning that you come 
yourself and say, Lord Jesus, here is my sin. Will you forgive it and take it away? He will say yes. Here is my life. Will you take it and make it new? And he will say, yes, but you must trust me and walk with me. So grateful for this morning. I hope you'll take time to come to the lunch. Be sure, Mario, I think you should be, I don't know where you went, Mario. You're too fast for me. Um, If you can go back and be there in the back uh, where the table is, be sure to go back and say hi, though I think there'll be a lot of people there. So we're going to have a song to bring this to conclusion. Jeremy, I'll turn it over to you and then I'll come and close.